Talking Heads is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code TALKING at FanDuel.com to enter a risk-free tournament for up to 10 bucks. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the best way to find a great deal. Pay for your ticket and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING for $20 off your first purchase. His legacy for some is a fast food commercial read, even though he refused to eat the food. But for me, Ken Beatrice was a trailblazer, a pseudo-radio con artist, and a legendary voice who almost no one outside of Washington knows but should. And welcome to the latest edition of Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stearns in Washington, D.C. Hello, Mark. Hey, Bram. Uh, I think I should start with it. Everyone at Panoply always screams at me that I need to reintroduce myself every single week, um, that most of you don't know who I am. I'm, I'm going to assume that the people who do listen to this actually do know who I am, but for the sake of <laughs> some person who, who doesn't, um, I worked at ESPN for seven years. I left uh, back in the spring. I am actively pursuing other broadcasting opportunities. In the meantime, I've um, joined forces once again with Mark Stern. We used to work together in Washington, D.C. Mark is still there working in that um, media market and we used to do a show together there Um, and I think that's important to mention that I grew up in Washington and did sports radio in Washington on the day after the news broke that Ken Beatrice died Um, for many of you listening to this I'm going to assume that you know either me or Mark and if you do you probably know us from Washington so you know exactly who we're talking about Ken Beatrice is really a godfather of sports radio he was a trailblazer he was doing sports radio before there was ever a station anywhere in the country that was dedicated 24-7 to doing sports talk radio his show was called Sports Call And it was on WMAL, which largely was a news talk radio station, a very popular one in Washington, D.C. They also, for years and years, used to carry the Washington Redskins games um, on the radio. And that is an enormous deal in Washington, always has been. It has been the number one sport, the number one topic, and the number one ratings getter in terms of radio. And he used to do the pregame show and the postgame show. And off of that, he also had a weekly, I'm not sure if it was nightly, but it was weekly for a period of time back in the 70s and 80s into the 90s, a show called Sports Call. And he had this thick Boston accent. I'll let Mark do it because Mark actually does an impression of Ken Beatrice. But he had this thick Boston accent that worked in Washington, D.C. for some reason. God love it. God love you, Bram. I, I don't eat the curly fries, but God love you. You're next on Sports Call. I'm Kenny Beatrice. Yes, that is Ken. Ken Beatrice. And Ken <laughs> was the only person in the area that was doing this, and his calls would light up, and every night people would call in, and they would ask questions about sports, and he would answer. It was a sports call-in show, really, is what it was. It's, it's very different than what much of sports radio is now, which is people giving hot takes or pontificating on things, or exactly what we're doing here, which is, in general, we're giving our opinions about things and then letting you figure out whether you think we're right or wrong or we're infuriating you or making you happy or sad or validating <laughs> your existence or whatever. But back then... <laughs> It was all sports calls, and he took calls, and he was the only person that was doing it. And I'm sure regionally around the country, there were a lot of people that had these sports shows. But before anyone in the radio industry realized, wow, we could do this 24 hours a day, and that really probably started with ESPN success. That when ESPN became a success on television, there were radio executives probably going, holy crap, we could do this on air too especially locally with all our markets in Boston. Who doesn't want to talk about the Red Sox all day and the Patriots all day? And in Washington, who doesn't want to talk about the Redskins all day? And in Seattle, who doesn't want to talk about the Seahawks and the Mariners all day? And so the light bulb clicked. And so Ken 
who was a trailblazer, started to get usurped by the fact that there was now WTEM in Washington by the early 1990s, which was a 24-7 sports call-in radio center. And so Ken, you know, became part of the woodwork after that. But it doesn't want to dismiss what was his legacy. And for me to read that he had passed away um, was hard because I was very fortunate I got to work with him uh, for a very short period of time towards the end of his career because uh, because of WTEM and because basically there was a sports radio station now in town, Ken's show lost its popularity and therefore he wasn't at WMAL for much longer. And he ended up working at WTEM um, for a period of time. But I got to work with him a little bit. Um, the interesting part about Ken to me was... Um, when I would sit in my bedroom, I would listen to him. I knew as a kid, this is what I wanted to do for a living. I wanted to be around sports and talk about sports. It was all I really had a lot of interest in. And, and he was doing something that no one else was doing. He was on the radio, but he wasn't talking about news. He wasn't talking about politics and he wasn't introing records. He was talking about the things I enjoyed talking about and he was the only person doing it. And therefore he became a must listen and he was a trailblazer. And so it's sad for me today, you know, to find out and to know that, that Ken is no longer with us. We, you know, listen, you were born and raised in Washington, D.C. I, I came here in my early teens. I want to say 13, 14. Um, but I still feel like that D.C. is my I mean, this is where I'm from. I mean, you know, I grew up in Boston, but this is where I'm from. And there are certain things in this area like there are with any town that are just, you know, these sort of unique things about your town that you that just make you feel like this is home and and there's inevitably there's unique characters and figures in that town whether you know sometimes it's news guys or a weather guy or or a sports guy you know and and for us in Washington DC Ken Beatrice was that guy and for those of us that got into this this business I don't, it's too much to say that he was a god, but like you said, he was a trailblazer. He was the guy that was out there doing this before anybody. And and, and to be in this market and doing what he did, you know, listen, you can't not know who Ken Beatrice was and be in Washington, D.C. and be in sports broadcasting. And, and the guy was a legend. You know, however you want to interpret what that meant, he was a legend. And and I didn't listen to him as a kid when like, like you did. And a lot of guys that, that work at this radio station – uh, got to and you know but there's there's so many unbelievable stories about Ken like literally when he would finish the show and he would tell you stay on hold stay on hold God love you I'll get you your calls I'll go answer your calls right there I'll call you back and then he would he, he would did go, do that he, would do, he that. did do that that was yeah. absolutely yes that is true those are true stories he actually did that the calls he couldn't get to at the end of the show he would tell them to stay on hold or leave their number and he would go back to his office yeah. and call these people back and talk to them off the air about sports yeah it was just astonishing and, and you know I mean there's and listen, I've been doing this for a while. I think the last thing I would do is when I finish my shift, be like, yeah, there's 10 people on it. Yeah, I'll call all those guys. And you're like, well, whatever. We'll call. We'll talk tomorrow. So he was sort of, and it was a, there was an old school feel to him. And he was like a big draft knowledge guy. And if you called up and, 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 and asked about, you know, this tight end prospect from Iowa State, he would have all the rundown on him. And he had his little idiosyncratic, yes. you know, ways of syncretic ways of talking about these guys. Oh yeah, he's a smidge over over one fifty pound. You know, I mean, he just, the way he talked was unique 
and his references were unique, and he appeared to have an encyclopedic knowledge of everything. You could ask Ken, and this is before the internet, kids. So it's not like like those of us then when somebody calls up and you're like, oh, yeah, I've got the answer, and you're just looking it up on your phone. And Ken would just bat it right back to you with this just unbelievable detailed information about these guys that most of us had never heard about. Yes, but this is what I'm going to get to, and I called him a pseudo-con man in, <laughs> yes. in the open, okay? Because on some level... He was. You have, you have to understand this, and I mean it in the kindest way. He was a performer, he had a love for it, and he, he was able to memorize box scores and information, okay? But consider this for a moment. He was doing this in the 1970s and 80s into the early 90s. ESPN was nascent at the time. They didn't come to formation until the ni- late 1970s, and most people really weren't watching them until the mid-1980s because a lot of people didn't have cable television at that point in time, right? So this idea that you could see sports 24 hours a day in general, was still kind of a new idea. In fact, watching anything but the networks was a new idea. So understand this. There's no internet either. All you have is your newspaper that you read in the morning that has box scores that won't include late games, and you have whatever the three networks are showing you, and that in general for sports was, except for football, games of the week at some period of time. Or your local team would be played locally, so you get to see them play. Ken Beatrice portrayed himself as someone who knew just about everything about everybody yet had no way of actually watching any of it. Consider that for a moment, okay? He was able to sell to the public that he knew everything about everybody, but he wasn't performing in a time where that was actually a capability on your computer, on your phone, on your television. He couldn't have seen these people he was talking about. He never could have seen the games you were talking about. There was no way he could have done that. So in... In some respect, what I really, as I grew older and got into the business and started to realize, man, this guy was making that up. <laughs> How amazing that is that he yeah. was making that up and it's that incredible. you were able to believe all these things that came out of his mouth when there was no way on earth he could have seen or known the things he was saying about much of the topics that people called in about. Yeah, I, and that was the thing. I mean, you could call him it was like you couldn't stump Ken. He was going to he was going to give the answer. And I remember one of the first shows I ever hosted, somebody called up and said, "Hey, what about this double uh, A pitcher for the in the national system?" And I was like, "I've never heard of him. I don't know." And, and that's just my initial response. And I was, right. You're like, "I don't know. I don't What do you think I watch? Harrisburg double A baseball? <laughs> right. Fuck you." Right. <laughs> of course I don't. Right. And yet Ken wanted I mean, because his whole thing was, I'm the answer guy. I know everything. You're going to come to yes. me. And he really he really did pull that off. Mel Kuyper Jr. is similar in this. Yes. Mel is really the real deal. Yes. I mean, he won't try to do this with any other sport. He does it with the NFL draft. No, he literally watches tape on all of these guys. Yes. And he's a savant. And he remembers all these things. And he could just spit them out. It's really... And you could go back any draft. I've seen it in person during breaks. Same thing like with Ken. During breaks, when I used to work with radio shows with him, fans would come up to him on site and ask him some question. And he did, He wasn't fumbling around for information. He'd look him right in the eye and answer the question. And you're like, oh my God. Like, he would do it in a way where you're like... Like this guy would be like, I went to Tennessee Tech, and we have this player, and he would stop a mid sentence. He knew exactly. Oh yeah, no, who he I know. Yeah, about. I've seen him play. Great cornerback. Yes, I love him. Yes. Uh, a shade too small it's... for my taste, but yes, no, he's yes. a heck of a player. Big hitter. 
It's unbelievable. <laughs> so Mel and Ken are similar in that way, except that Ken portrayed himself as knowing everything about everything. Yes. Which is really, really a remarkable talent to pull off. That no one would ever come out and basically say, this guy's the biggest bullshit artist of all time because he could not have seen the Warriors play the Clippers <laughs> last night. How in the world would he know anything about the game? It wasn't on television anywhere. He couldn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and he was a character. He was a character. You referenced it in the open about the fast food reads. He would read for this guy's local Arby's, and I can't remember yes. the name, but it was an Bernie Ar- Streeter. <laughs> yes, Bernie yes. Streeter's Arby's. Right. He read commercials for Arby's. It was Bernie Streeter owned a lot of Arby's locally. Bernie Streeter got a deal with Ken Beatrice to do his commercial reads, like we do for SeatGeek here yeah. or FanDuel, except. Ken really personalized it, and he would say things in the ad like, I, you know, I love Arby's. The food is great. I go there. I don't eat curly fries, <laughs> but I heard they're delicious because I don't eat fried food. Right. And the mocha- this somehow caught on in a way that I, everything I've been reading today, which is actually somewhat sad, his legacy is tied to the reads of the Arby's. Yeah. People remember him for fast food. Food reads. Yeah. No, that's every every all these tweets I saw about it was like hashtag curly fries, hashtag mocha shake. I mean, it was all these things. And that's I mean, it's 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 bizarre the things that we were remembered for at the end. But that but that he had such a deep resonance with people and they love that. When you say God love you, anywhere in the Washington DC area, any sports fan is their ears are gonna immediately perk up and say Kenny B. Yeah, I, I mean as of right now. I guess my legacy in Washington is I used to say my name funny at the end of reports about the Redskins. Yes. So that is yeah. possible that right now, like when I die, someone's going to go, I'm Bram Whitestein, which is going to be so <laughs> annoying to me. But I think less annoying than you got to try the Jamoka shake. I'm not sure which one's worse. So me and Ken are kind of similar in kinship in that what we're currently remembered for is a very odd thing I, like it's amazing that he is remembered mainly by a lot of people for reading commercials for arby's when the guy was literally a savant you know behind the mic and did things before anybody was doing it there was no format for this there was no program director for this they just let ken have a show and this is long before people decided they were going to have sports radio as a genre so yeah. I, I really i i, I i'm kind of dedicating all of this to i was very fortunate growing up where I grew up, to want to do what I want to do for a living and having people like Ken Beatrice there, George Michael there. Uh, Many of our listeners won't know who Glenn Brenner is because he was a local broadcaster, but he was a remarkable local broadcaster. Steve Buckhantz, who does the Wizards games. Andy Poland, who works at WTEM. Tony Kornheiser, who who turned himself from an incredible newspaper columnist to a remarkable entertainer performer on radio and television and did this as I was growing up. Michael Wilbon, same thing. I was very fortunate to grow up with that, but Ken Beatrice preceded all of these people. Ken Beatrice is kind of the godfather of sports talk radio, at least in Washington, and maybe around the nation. I'm not really sure who was doing it in other places, but he w- it might as well have been pirate radio what he was doing at the time. And it's amazing what he was able to do. And, and I will say this because I've stolen this line a million times, especially over the last eight months while I'm searching around for whatever next new jobs I'm going to do. I once had him on my show. I, I'm not sure if you were there or not that day when I had him on because I love talking about Ken because he you know, he's a legend. And I got to work with him at one time when he was out of the business because his health started to fail him. He got out of the 
the business. I remember I had him on my show just, I don't know, to talk about sports in Washington, about something. And he was on it. I said to him, what are you doing now, Ken? And he goes, well, I do sports radio for my cat every day. <laughs> and that's sort of what you would expect from Ken, you know. Yes. <laughs> that's just brilliant. I feel that's really great. bad for his cat, you know. <laughs> He's yeah. probably got a never-ending lifetime supply of curly fries. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mr. Jingles, Mr. Jingles, we're going to talk about the Redskins secondary next, but let me do this read quick. <laughs> the cat's drinking Jamocha shakes. <laughs> now, I will say this, and, and again, you were born and raised here, but when I, and I don't know if you feel this way, when I look back on the 1980s, and anybody that doesn't live in Washington isn't going to get uh, any of these references, but and this is for you, Bram. When I think of the 80s and growing up here, there are three things that I remember, other than like the obvious stuff like Mary and Barry and all that. I remember... I remember Junri Karate, Nobody Bothers Me. I remember... Nobody Bothers Me, yes. <laughs> right. I remember Mr. Ray's Hair Weave, and I remember Ken... <laughs> and and uh-huh. I remember Ken Beatrice. Those, that's three. That's the list. And it's like if, if yes. you're from here and you reference any of that, Junri Karate... And by the way, they aired that... This is how great that show The Americans is. They actually, in the background of a television set, they had a Junri Karate ad because it takes place in D.C. in the 80s. And I was like, that's genius. Junri Karate. You think there's a lot of fantasy commercials on TV right now? You should have seen how many <laughs> Junri Karate <laughs> commercials bo- were on in Washington back in the me. 1980s. Oh, God, it was great. <laughs> it would make DraftKings blush. <laughs> man. Mary and Barry, too. Oh, man. Oh, man. But Ken Beatrice, he is really, he's part of the fabric. And um, and more than anything, I just want to say, uh, you know, heartfelt, you know, out to his uh, feelings, to his family. Um, he touched a lot of us in a lot of ways. And he's one of those people that made me do what I'm doing now. And I appreciate that. I'm so fortunate that I got to work with him on a few occasions towards the end of his career. He was an incredibly kind, giving man. He gave advice. He would talk to you. He was the real deal. And he seemed to understand that he was in a position where he could offer advice to people and he was willing to do it and and not everyone's like that and he was a very very kind man and um and i wish his family well r.i.p ken They are at the quarter pole of the NFL season. How about Carolina undefeated at this point? I, I will say this um, for my fantasy football season, unless Darren McFadden at the time of this taping has like the best night ever for any running back, my team is going to win my division in my season long league. And so I'm going to get a bye. So I'm heading into the playoffs as one of the favorites to win my championship. So I'm awesome. Let's say you're not having that kind of year. Well, you could become a big fat winner this weekend anyway because you already know that you should have picked up Thomas Rawls and Adrian Peterson is the right move this year early. And you can go get all these guys and put together the best team possible on a weekly basis. And when you use my code TALKING at FanDuel.com, you can enter a no-risk tournament. That's any tournament offered at FanDuel at up to 10 bucks. And if you win, you keep the money. If you lose, FanDuel will refund your account guaranteed. FanDuel is the best place to play one week fantasy football. Building a team is easy, fun. Just pick your players, stay under the salary cap, and entry fees start at just a buck. It's for everybody. They got NBA, NHL. You can play fantasy sports for real cash any night of the week. And it's not just for large tournaments. You can set up a private league, play against 
your friends anytime, anywhere. To get started, go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use the code TALKING, and sign up now. Here's a great new offer for my listeners. If you enter a league and you don't win, FanDuel will refund your money. That's any tournament you want, up to 10 bucks. You can sign up on FanDuel.com using my code TALKING, then make a deposit, choose your league. If you don't win, you'll get the money right back in your FanDuel account for more play. The only way to get this no-lose offer is to go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone, use my code TALKING. FanDuel.com, when it finally pays to be a fan, that's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. Welcome back to Talking Heads. I'm Brad Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. March Stern is in Washington, D.C. Um, did you happen to notice the Patriots fans booing their team at halftime against the Eagles with the score tied at 14? Did you see that? No, I didn't. I was actually in Philadelphia this past weekend and was was driving during much of this game because I was like, "This is going to be a blowout." It's gonna, I, I thought it was going to be a blowout, Patriots, and then I sort of looked at my phone and I was like, "Is that right? Is, am I looking at the score right? Are they up what thirty five fourteen late?" That was just stunning to me. Well, so they I were mean, they were getting you know, booed. Literally, the the, it, the fans that were booing they booed them. them. Okay, that's pathetic. I'm they booed so, him. That's, I'm sorry. And when it was 14-14 at half, they booed him. See, the, oh, come on. I, you know, yeah. honestly, Patriot fans, I, I mean, Boston fans in general shouldn't boo about anything. Over the last 15 years, they have been blessed, and I say this as an ex-Bostonian, they have been blessed with an unbelievable amount of championships all across the board. And nobody has been better than the New England Patriots. And their quarterback is arguably the greatest quarterback ever and just won a Super Bowl. And now they're going to boo them because they're only, they're only tied 14 all at half? Um, they're 10-1 and one going into halftime, tied at 14 apiece. They'd just given up a blocked punt, which tied the game. Um, it took extenuating circumstances of the most unusual sort for them to actually lose. They gave up two special teams touchdowns and a 100-yard interception return for a touchdown. And they only lost by seven. Okay, so that's amazing. And they played without their top receiver and Gronkowski, who's probably their best target, if not the most dangerous target in the entire league. Played out without both of them. We're missing offensive linemen. Lost by seven points under extremely extenuating circumstances to lose the game. They were 10-1, and one, and their fans actually booed them. The weather was gorgeous yesterday here in New England. It was extremely temperate. It was like up in the 50s. And they showed a wide shot of that stadium. And what looks to be like their club section in the middle of the field was practically empty at the start of the third quarter. I am sitting here going, you know what? You people don't deserve this anymore if this is what it's going to be. Yeah, that's pathetic. Because I, I would argue right now for how long they've won their division – how many years it's been going, how many championships they've won, how many times they've been to the Super Bowl, you are arguably better than what the Packers did under Vince Lombardi, arguably, at this point. And to sit there and to boo a 10-1 and team who's tied at half with the Philadelphia Eagles, that's pathetic. Uh, you have zero understanding of, of where you are and what your place is, and you don't deserve to have this if you don't understand the ramifications of doing something like that. If you go into every game thinking you should win 42-7, to then you have a completely alternate universe view of the NFL than any other team in the league and any other fan base in the league, and you have gotten too spoiled. And that's ridiculous. Your team is 10-1. and one. You're absolutely ridiculous. And you're tied. It's not like you were losing 42 to nothing. You were tied with them. Ridiculous. Even if they lose, and they did lose that game, you don't boo. I, I, you, know, you, know who, you know who gets to boo? Philadelphia 76ers fans. They get to boo. Cleveland Brown fans. 
they get to boo because their teams are yes. crappy all the time. But if you're in the fan base of the most celebrated franchise in the last 30 years, has won four Super Bowls and been to another two and lost on freak plays, you know what? You say, we're not going to win every single game. And you know what? I love that. I'm sorry. And I know there's a whole etiquette on when you boo and when you don't boo, but you don't boo them. Not not in those circumstances. That's that's insane. No. Again, yesterday they had like four guys who made huge plays in the game that yes. no one's ever heard of because they've right. been shelved on some practice squad and they had to play because they have so many injuries right now. The fact that they're 10-2 and two with the amount of injuries that they have is amazing. No other team would survive all these things that are happening. And then I, like, I'm, I'm reading Twitter and you know everyone loves the downfall of the Goliath. So people are already trying yes. to kill them because they're 10 and 2 sporting news sporting news is a great outlet puts up on twitter they, they put up a headline that was like uh, uh patriots lose to eagles is father time catching up to tom brady and i'm oh, like for christ's um, sake are you serious? no as of seven days ago they were 10 and 0 and he had some of the best stats in the league so i'm sorry but like what are you talking about like what what in the world are you, are, did you watch the game they gave up two special teams touchdowns and an interception return of 100 yards for a touchdown and lost by 7 and had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to tie you name me another team that survives things like that on a weekly basis nobody does that's the most ridiculous thing to write about them in an era that where the league is designed to make everybody equal they consistently rise above everybody else. I mean, yes. and they don't win it every year, but for the last 15 years, nobody's been better. And and the run that they're on and the way the league is constructed now, to me, is one of the most amazing. Like you said, it's like the Packers. I mean, but the Packers didn't have the league trying to design it. All right, let's try to even out the playing field. Now it's like everything is weighted against you when you win, and they've not, they've done nothing but win relentlessly for the last 15 years. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sitting here as a Redskins fan, just like out of my skin because I have a 5-16. and 16. <laughs> So, you know, get real, people in New England. Get real. Like, because, and, and, you know what, if this is how it's going to be, I can't wait till Brady retires and you find out what it's like to be everybody else again. Oh, yeah. Because you've, you've, had, you've had it too good for too long if this is how you're going to treat it. And the other thing I want to lose, too, and I think it's the other misconception about them that I'm done with, Bill Belichick is extremely interesting. He's not boring. He just doesn't want to talk to the press, okay? He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to deal with it. He doesn't like inane questions. He doesn't want to deal with any of that. But yesterday, or when we taped this, yesterday was their game against the Eagles. Again, he proved they are among the most innovative teams in the league. They ran a crazy play that was a reverse throw back to Tom Brady, yeah. okay, on a play where he starts it by walking out from under center and pointing to a receiver as if he was telling him to do something, which caught the defense completely off guard, and then delayed before he made a break to the outside. So they had practices over and over and over with Tom Brady becoming the decoy receiver to trick them. They also did a pooch punt onside kick, which I'd never seen before. I didn't know it was legal that they did this. Now, it didn't work out. It was really stupid. They were up 14 nothing when they did it and the Eagles got great field position out of it and then started to make a game of it off of that play and you could argue that changed the momentum of everything at that point but it was a remarkably innovative play that I, I just know the Eagles were going what the hell is that when they started doing it off of this kickoff this reminds me of last year in the playoffs the, ga the game where they won against Baltimore was some crazy play 
that occurred, you know, that they had designed that everyone wasn't sure was legal when they ran it in the playoffs against them. So I'm sick of hearing this Bill Belichick is an innovative crap or is is boring crap. He's not. If you watch the games on Sunday, they will pull some trick out of their hat like you've never seen before. Things that you're not even sure are in the rule book that you can do on a weekly basis. So I'm done with that, too. He just doesn't like talking to the media. Get over it. Yeah. No, he's he's an innovator. And he looks like where we might read like a comic book or, or a novel or something like that. Belichick goes to sleep every night reading through the NFL rules and regulations. And he's like, oh, you know what? I'd miss that. Let me, let me, let me, you look at that wrinkle. He's always looking for a way to gain an advantage over his opponents. Now, some people might say, well, by the taping or whatever, all this stuff. No, listen, he's looking at the rule book and he's like, I'm trying to figure out plays that we can use to throw the other guys off because they haven't seen them. And that's going to give us an edge. And that's what he does. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm just the Boston people like you guys need to chill out. Like, like I'm sitting here. I've been in, I've been in a miserable situation with my team for two decades. Okay. Wake the (laughs) fuck up. You know, you have no clue how good you have it right now. Your team's Ted and two and you're booing them they lost at home for a lot they lose at home like once a year maybe like cut it out like you guys are in the playoffs every year that's like a guarantee you're in the super bowl every other year that's practically a guarantee you have no clue how good you have it if that's how you're going to treat them the people who should be remarkably upset are the people who just are the most miserable people on earth and that is lions fans and for some reason I don't know if it's just that shade of blue and crying that that make it so funny, but for some reason, when they lose, especially the way they lost on Thursday night on a Hail Mary to a tight end, okay, from 65 yards out, I can't help but laugh at them. Yeah, it's just they are the sad sacks. Pretty much, well, maybe all sports, but certainly in the NFL. You know, and not only they lose to Kevin and Hail Mary, it's like on a dead play after a, and I'm using air quotes right now, a face mask penalty, and it's like... No, 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 don't start that. You don't think that was a face... Of course that was a face mask. That's ridiculous. Of course that was a face mask. Why is everyone uh, complaining about that? He, you saw his head turn sideways. Yeah, but I don't know whether he grabbed his shoulder pad or something like that. I, I'd have to no, go back is he, at, <laughs> he, he? Your face mask doesn't end up looking like that if he didn't pull it. That's what happened. I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and look. I know I wasn't... I'm not the only one to sort of... Sus- Listen... You can't blame me for having doubt about the referees this year because they have been atrocious all across the board. That's fine, but there's clear video evidence of him right. pulling his face mask. They made the right call. I don't under just because the result was what the result was. People are like, "Well, that wasn't a face mask." What are you talking about? Like, watch the video. Of course it was. I will reserve judgment until I go back and look at that videotape again. But regardless, you're like, "We won the game. We won the game." Oh no, we did. It was one more play, and then then out of all that. Rodgers throws it 60 yards in the end zone, and it's a touchdown. And the, the Lions fans are just sitting there being like, did that Did that really just happen? Did we just watch that happen to us again? And yes, they did. It's just something, too, about that shade of blue that when someone's wearing it and then they start crying, it's just something's not right about it. It's like it feels like you went to a luau, <laughs> but like the fire erupted and it became a conflagration on the beach. Like it ruined like something went completely wrong there. Like, I, I don't know. It's something about that color that gets me every time when I see them get all upset. I'm like, but you're wearing that stupid color. I don't know why you're crying. You seem like you just went to a party. Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice, happy shade of blue. Come on. Yes, blue is. and silver. Aren't you happy? No, I'm crying. And when was the last time you saw? a Lions fan that was happy. Ugh, I never.
Never. And I mean, you know, and I've, I've thought about this for a while. I, I, I really want to start a club where, you know, people of these areas that have these teams, I think it should be okay to be a bandwagoner and that you should join a club and then you guys get together and every year you decide who you're going to root for together and just get out of this miserable existence. You need you need to end this. And then if the if the if the Lions get good, you have like full capability to go back and yeah, root for the course. Lions. I Always, think that's yes. totally fair. If you're one of those teams and you're stuck with an awful team that's just not just losing, but just losing pathetically, yes. you should be allowed to jump on with whoever. You want to be a Panthers fan this year? Go in fact, they have a blue that's very similar to go your ahead. blue, so you can fit right in with a Carolina crowd. We gotta remove the stigma. Remove the stigma. Okay. It doesn't make you un American or like I hate Detroit if I stop rooting for the Lions. It's just I don't want to have a miserable experience anymore with my life. Every weekend, something awful happens to my team. I don't want to live with it anymore. So I'm going to go root for them. And if one day, you know, LeBron James comes and plays for the Pistons, I'll go root for the Pistons, okay? Like, that's what I'll do. See, okay, this reminds me. I was the, Remember when, when LeBron was in Cleveland, the last game he played in the first run, and they lost the Celtics in the playoffs, and it was like a game six, and... I was sitting at a bar with a guy from Cleveland. It's a guy I'd never met before. I'm just sitting there and be like, oh, yeah, the Cleveland uh, Celtics games. And I'm a Celtics fan. We're sitting there watching it. And Cleveland's up by like eight or something like that in the second half. And, and the guy is, puts his head down. And he gets, starts shaking. I'm like, why are you getting upset? You said you're a Cleveland fan. And he's like, we're going to lose this game. Watch. And sure enough, the Celtics win it. And all the guy kept saying as the lead was, you know, dwindled away was, God hates my town. God hates my town. And I felt so bad for this guy because, honestly, you think about Detroit and, and Cleveland. What have they had to cheer about forever? It's just pathetic. Yeah, it, it is. And I, so I, just, I feel bad for those guys, but I, just, I was laughing. All these cutaways, and there's a guy in a Matt Stafford jersey, and he's got these, those big, giant, bug blue sunglasses and beads that are silver and blue. And I'm like, oh, man, like... First of all, you're walking around with that on. Second yeah. of all, now you got to go home. You <laughs> cried a little bit. I mean, just the whole thing, the whole experience is is just terrible, and it's just awful to be part of it. But if you're okay, honestly though, if you're a Lions fan and you're putting the beads on and, and painting your face silver and blue, you got to expect that you're going to feel humiliated driving home more often than not. You're setting yourself up for ridicule if you do that. Well, I, plus, like they're four and seven, so it's not like you know this was the Super Bowl or something. You know, right? <laughs> like, like the chances were they weren't making the playoffs anyway. You know that that's the thing. Like that's the thing. Like why be so upset? You were four and seven. Like you you couldn't have come to the stadium thinking you were winning anyway. Like you like you couldn't have had any real confidence about it like one you're the lions two you're playing green bay three you already beat them once you haven't swept them in 25 years like you can't have really thought this now granted the way you lost was pretty miserable even yes. for you but like you know still let's have some reasonable expectations when you're that big of a loser traditionally you have to think terrible things are going to happen to you yeah yeah you got to at least be ready for it and and that's why you know you can wear a hat you know, maybe a jersey, but have a jacket over the jersey. But if you want to go all out and and then just be prepared to be the guy driving home where people are looking at you and be like, why is the, why is the sad blue man crying? Why is fat blue man crying? <laughs> why? Why, Daddy? Tell why me. is there got to be a Polish guy driving around going, why is fat blue man crying again? <laughs> what is wrong with fat blue man? Why is he crying? Why you cry? Cheer up, fat blue man. There is another tomorrow for you. Yes, do not worry. K-92-3. 
Cam Newton and the Panthers are perfect on the year. They're going for 13-0 at home against the Falcons this weekend. And to get your ticket to Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte on the SeatGeek app, they have tons of great deals all over the stadium. And when you use my code TALKING, you get $20 back. Download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone and Android. It's free. Then you search for your event, find the deal for you, enter our code TALKING. And when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send you a $20 check or refund you on PayPal. They pull all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one place so you can save. They also know the fair market value of every ticket. They use that information to show you the best deals. So to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code TALKING in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase for the NFL concerts and Kobe's last ride. Use the SeatGeek app and don't forget to enter our code TALKING. Speaking of Kobe, LeBron, Steph Curry, the stars are out in the NBA this season. Chris Mannix, And the Open Floor Podcast is essential listening for basketball fans. Every week you'll hear expert analysis from Chris and a slew of great guests from current pro players to coaches, fellow journalists, former ballers. Open Floor, it's SI's NBA podcast with Chris Mannix. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and SI.com backslash podcast. Welcome back to Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein with Mark Stern. Um, there is one other podcast in the Panoply Network that I want to point everyone to if they have not heard this yet, and that was Diana Moskovitz was on Richard Deitch's SI Media podcast. You can get that at all the same places that you get this one and all the other ones. And um, I hadn't heard Richard do one yet, which is actually somewhat surprising. I am an avid reader of his work on SI.com. He writes um, the media circus thing. It's all about, it's, it's critical of the media. He also does reporting on the media. He's, he's one of the best media reporters out there right now. And he's done his podcast and a number of people, my former colleagues, a number of different people in the media. And I just haven't gotten around to hearing one, but this one stood out to me. I wanted to listen to it because you don't hear a lot of people from Deadspin actually talk about what goes on at Deadspin, which I found unusual because that one is still kind of a mystery to me. I've never worked in a place like that. I've always worked at traditional outlets. And he had on the reporter, and she's best known for the um, the Greg Hardy story. She was the one that wrote the, you know, the kind of the update with all the information and included the photographs of Nicole Holder, who was the woman who was abused by Greg Hardy. And um, the photos are disgusting. And uh, the story, you know, ended up hitting a major nerve nationally um, after everyone got to see. Not unlike the Ray Rice thing, once everyone kind of saw what the police report detailed, um, suddenly there was a different viewpoint on Greg Hardy. And so uh, Richard talked to her at length about um, the reporting of that story and working for Deadspin and what it's like to be there. And it was just fascinating. Um, it was a very long interview and, um, and not to, you know, <laughs> hate people telling people fast forward, but the really interesting stuff's about 20 to 30 minutes in when they start getting into all the stuff about Greg Hardy and the reporting of this. And she was very interesting. So I just wanted to point her out that, that this was, this is an unusual outlet to get a story like that. And it's changing now because as she put it, which I thought was the most fascinating part of the story, she said, you know, we have nothing to lose here we don't have any access to the cowboys or the nfl so we could do a story like this and we're not getting vetted like the executives at an espn or fox or yahoo are getting vetted because they have deals with these leagues and they'd be scared to print stuff like this and i found that interesting yeah well it's it's i mean it harkens back we we're talking about the movie concussion it's like you know will the nfl let these ads run because everybody's got a deal together with the networks and you know everything's tied together but deadspin's sort of like out there you know, the lone wolf being like, hey, man, we just want to tell the stories we want to tell, and we're not tied to the league or anything like that. And, you know, that was an amazing story, and, and that that completely changed the way that people were looking at that particular incident. It was like, oh, because, you know, everyone's like, ah, oh, we don't know what's going on. And like the Ray Racing, like you mentioned, you see the pictures, and you're like, well, Jesus Christ, this is despicable. 
So, yeah. You know, it also um, what I found really interesting as well um, with this, and I don't want to give it away. She talks about this at length, but there was she goes into all the discussions that occurred internally about are we going to show these photos, um, which at major news organizations would involve a lot of high up executives to talk about. Are we really going to show these photos? Are we really going to print them? You know, there's this is a life altering type of thing for the victim, for the accused, for people you know with young kids who are going to view stuff like this i mean this this is that's a very tough decision to make it's a very powerful thing you have here when you have an outlet that is read by people and seen by people and you know i think deadspin because i don't know much about their internal workings uh, i'm i'm kind of guilty of this you know being someone who's been on the other side of traditional outlets and watch them attack places like espn and people on espn that they're kind of heartless in some ways and that they're just looking for clicks and sensationalism and they're going to go to whatever length they have to go to to bring content and viewers over and people to click on them but after hearing her talk about the discussions that went into actually showing those photos i feel differently about deadspin um not that i i didn't think they had any scruples or any morals or ethics or journalistic integrity but I thought maybe it was a little bit lower than at some other places where there might be a higher power looking down saying we're not showing that. And it was refreshing to hear her kind of go through a lot of the same vetting. No, that's good because I, I have a lot of the same concerns about about them and some of the stories that they've done. And when you've seen some of the some of the processes, which was they've gone through to release these stories, I'm thinking in particular like the Brett Favre you know, crotch shots that he was sending out to that, that woman. And and it's like, it's, some of it is so salacious and it feels like they just want to give low hanging fruit. And like, like you said, whatever they can get to get clicks. And you're like, is there really any kind of editorial process for this? Are you guys like, Hey, we're just going to be the, you know, the dumpster fire that we want everybody to come by and check out. But so that is refreshing to hear that there at least is a, some kind of process for them. And it's not just, yep. All right, let's get it out there. Let's, let's get everybody looking at us. Anyway, hear it for yourself. I thought it was it was great. Diana Moskovitz was the guest um, and uh, on Richard Deitch's uh, podcast, the SI Media Podcast. You could find that with Panoply and all that other stuff. All right, speaking of um, media outlets that are criticized, and I think ESPN deserved criticism um, for this, um, and they got called out by, of all people, John McCain, the former Republican presidential candidate, former senator from Arizona, uh, who was in the Navy. Um, <laughs> Keaton Reynolds has had an incredible career at the Naval Academy as their quarterback. I feel like he's played for eight years or something, but he ended up breaking the record for most touchdowns in a career, um, partially because he touches the ball in every play and doesn't give it to anybody else. Um, They actually still run a triple option, and he's going to throw the ball downfield four or five times a game, and they literally run the ball every play, but they're a machine at it. They're incredible at it, and Keenan Reynolds has been at the helm of it, and they're a well-oiled machine now. They're extremely effective on offense. He has scored a ton of touchdowns this way. Well, Well, this year is finally his last year of eligibility. Navy was having a tremendous season. And I'm not sure there was ever really, as you'll see with the Heisman, you know, coming up this weekend, there was never really a clear cut, I think, front runner. I think Leonard Fournette from LSU was for a period of time. But as it's come down here to the end, it's there's been a lot of back and forth, like who's really the Heisman winner here. There wasn't a clear cut, obvious person. Reynolds has had such a great career. You're not trying to give like a lifetime achievement award, but he has an argument that he's the best player in college football this year. And that played out on ESPN's website. They have a Heisman vote um, 
uh, uh, thing that you can take part in on ESPN.com. It is sponsored through the Heisman House and all that stuff. And it does count. Um, the, whoever the fans vote for the most is going to get one vote towards winning the Heisman Trophy. You know, it's kind of like the electorate. It doesn't really matter. But like, but at least you're giving the fans a voice here. And as of, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Reynolds was one of the highest vote getters. He was one of the five choices you had. After Navy lost their second game, the internal people who are the experts in college football and ESPN kind of determined he was less likely to win the Heisman Trophy. So they took his name off of um, the ballot, basically, on the website. So you couldn't easily vote for him. And this caused a huge uproar. The Naval Academy noticed it. John McCain noticed it. All these other people noticed it. And they were kind of pointing at ESPN saying, see, you're trying to dictate who we're going to like and watch as opposed to who might be the best player in college football, which I thought was going a little bit too far in grandstanding and politicizing the whole process a little bit. It was just the people inside ESPN saying he's really not likely to win and we're supposed to put the top five people that we think are likely to win and he's not likely to do so. But that said, I understood what they were saying because among the fans, he was consistently one of the highest vote getters, at least through this vehicle. Right. So how do you feel about ESPN taking him off, I guess, prematurely would be the way to put it. Yeah, it seems like they jumped the gun on it. I mean... The guys, I mean, like you said, the guys had a phenomenal career. When you look at the numbers, and by the way, that game, the the game they lost against Houston, because Houston basically shut down the run game, then he ended up throwing for like over 300 yards and a bunch of touchdowns. I mean, it was like, okay, so the guy can do that when he absolutely needs to. Um, Listen, the process through which ESPN was putting that poll up there seemed to be fairly, I mean, it was a behind-the-scenes thing, and it's – it's not really clear how they determine who the top five guys. It's not like there's no clear process. To like, okay, these are the top five guys. It's like a few guys behind a curtain being like, all right, these are the guys we're going to put up there. And, yet you can still vote for Keenan Reynolds, but you have to go into a vote for others, and then you have to find him, so there's a process you have to go through. And it seems like a guy like that who generated a lot of excitement among the fans and certainly a lot of votes from that particular polling website you know they should have left them up there it seems like it was it was an oversight and certainly the backlash may have been over the top but i think on some levels it was justified oh gee you think a little over the top i mean let me let me tell you something as someone who worked there okay i i I, sometimes i have to defend them and i'm going to here there's no conspiracy theory here okay they didn't say pull him down we don't want him to win the heisman espn doesn't care who wins the heisman trophy all right. They ask the people who are polled on this and actually vote on this and are supposed to kind of crowdsource the potential polling among the actual voters for the Heisman. Who do you think is most likely to win? And I guarantee you, after they lost the second game, that crowdsourcing and that polling basically suggested to them Reynolds isn't going to win. And that's why they pulled him down. And that's it. That's it. That's it. That's that's it. They put the five most likely people up and he wasn't one of them. And I... In my opinion, he should have never been up there in the first place if this is the way it was going to go because he did nothing in terms of his performance to change his eligibility to win the Heisman Trophy. But that said, the truth is it is a popularity contest, and he wasn't one of the people that was popular among all of the voters and not just at ESPN. There's no conspiracy. That's it. Bottom line, move on. That's it. Yeah, I just, I mean, if you're going to open it up to the fans and if people are voting for him consistently as fans, it's like, then just leave him up there. I mean, is it really an issue? Be like, look, he's doing well in our polls. I mean, who knows if he's going to win it or not, but the people that are going to this, they seem to like him, so let's just leave him up there. 
To me, it, it feels like they were trying to be too close to the bone and be like, nope, it's got to be like this. And it's like, if you're doing it for the fans, then make it for the fans. If, even if, as you said, it, their fans counts as one vote and the overall Heisman votes. It doesn't make a difference. But if you're going to have the fans involved, then let them be involved with the people's choice. That's fine. But the left turn to make this conclusion that, like, here goes ESPN trying to dictate what we should watch and who we should vote for in sports for awards— baloney okay that is just not the case here it's just as flat out not the case here you've gone too far like they don't care who wins the heisman trophy all they want is a ceremony that people watch they don't care who wins it doesn't matter to them who wins now true true story when you were working at espn you would call me up and tell me which players to watch and which players to like that's and true i, I did <laughs> But it was just lies. I was just seeing if I was just seeing if I could get you to watch the Memphis Middle Tennessee football game. You must watch did Memphis. And yeah, I did. I watched them all the time. Go Volunteers. No, no. What is wait, What is Middle Tennessee? I should know this. I knew somebody that went there. They have like a really bizarre nickname. I'll look it up. I don't know. I'll look it up. I was going to say something really crude, but I just figured I don't want to get in trouble. Um, because it, which would be a perfect segue actually into our next and final moment here together this week. And that is Mike Rice, the former Rutgers basketball coach, has gotten a job. It's at a high school in New Jersey, Elizabeth, New Jersey. I didn't catch the name of the school. The Patrick School, is that what it's called? I think I wrote that down. The Patrick yes, School. Yes, it's the Patrick School. Uh, I don't know anything about the school, whatever. So, you know, I, I, but if you don't know who Mike Rice is, the, the Cliff Notes version of what he did was he was caught on video. Um, <laughs> I mean, verbally abusing his team in a manner by which that felt like it was an SNL skit. I mean, it was so <laughs> over the top the way right. he would scream and yell at all of the players and then throw basketballs at them. Then eventually he got fired for this, um, clearly, because it got out. And you just you can't treat anybody this way, let alone a basketball team. I don't care how old school, quote unquote, old school you are. You cannot do that. And so this was Mike Rice, and he finally has emerged now as in an interim basis, a high school basketball coach. Yeah, again with the Patrick School, and I'm trying to think. It's like it's a name for Patrick Moynihan. Is it Dan Patrick? We don't know yet. But yeah, I mean, this guy. The fact that I mean, I'll give him credit for trying to revive his career on any level, even like a summer rec league, like I don't know, basketball courts at a playground. He's like, hey, can I coach you guys up a little bit? Because this guy is so unbelievably toxic. I still don't think he has any future of consequence. As any kind of, as a coach for anybody, because you, you the, the argument you would have to make to hire this guy, even if you say, listen, everybody deserves a second chance. It's like, is he is the juice really worth the squeeze with this guy? So God bless him for for getting back in. I'm sure he loves the game dearly and he's upset that he can't be a part of it. But but, pal, you know what? You, you made your bed and you got a lion. In it, now. Well, yeah, I mean, like and this is and, and thinking back to Ken Beatrice, this is a different time and era, which means everybody at that basketball on that team knows who he is. Like, oh, yeah. they have the internet. They know exactly who he is. It's not like back in the day when, you know, something like this could happen. You could kind of, like, quietly sweep it under the rug and no one would ever know because it doesn't live on the internet and there's no news reports about it. He could reemerge somewhere and the kids really literally don't know who he is and he's trying to start over. But they know exactly who he is. So I can only envision what this first meeting is going to be like. Where do they test him? <laughs> do they just try to find out early from him? Is it because he's going to walk in and, you know, probably be like, hi, I'm your new coach and... We're going to run a really clean program here, and it's going to be one built on respect. (laughs) And can't you just see one player going like, hey, coach, fuck off. (laughs) Just to see. Just to see what he'll do. (laughs) 
Hey, coach, I got an idea. Why don't you go fuck yourself? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, that was uh, that's a great point, and you know what? We're gonna we're gonna use that sort of great creative energy. Yeah, but uh, let's see if we can run that drill real quick. Hey, coach, how about I shove this free throw up your ass? <laughs> okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, let's try a free throw drill. Hey, fuck you. Okay. All right, let's huddle up, guys. Great practice. <laughs> Great practice, guys. I, I feel I feel the love and the bonding and the respect here. <laughs> I mean, 17-year-old boys, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, like, yeah. And he can't blow up. He can't. He cannot do it. They could literally, well, okay. They could almost go up and, like, take a leak on his leg and be like, you wanted to say something about Coach? And be like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you going to go tell the AD about this? <laughs> no. What do you think of that one? Hmm? Yeah. Hey, I've decided I'm going in now, Coach. You're going to put me in. Yeah. Take out that guy. He stinks. Just do it. Yeah, do it. Do it. Do it now. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Don't yell at me. Okay. Don't yell at me. Can't you just see, too, the steam coming out of the guy's ears? And he just keeps telling himself, like, don't blow up. Don't blow up. Don't, don't do blow it. up. Don't blow, don't blow and up. And you know what's going to happen. It's going to be like that Seinfeld Serenity Now episode where he's just going like, to oh, yeah. rip his suit off like the Incredible Hulk and be like, go fuck himself. I ain't fucking all of you. You're all idiots. Get over there. Stand over there. Halftime, yeah. he just goes in his office, closes the door, and screams <laughs> at nobody in particular. And he comes back out, and he's like, Okay, guys, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about. We're only down by ten. We're gonna be great. And then uh, one bad call by the referee. Can you imagine the ref's like, "You got anything to say about this, Mike?" <laughs> no, that was a that was a great call. You guys are doing a heck of a job. Oh, it's you guys are doing sport. a wonderful job. No, you. Good job, guys. Hey, I gotta take a quick break. Ah! Ah! <laughs> yeah. Okay, I guess that's it for us. We'll see you next week.